Well, open your Bibles, if you would please, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20 will be our key text today, and we're going to begin there just about as soon as you get your Bibles opened. While you're doing that, let me read a quote from Augustine. Man's maker was made that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast. The bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that the truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. If you've got your Bibles and you're able to stand, would you stand with us in the honor of reading God's Word in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, this familiar passage that we read for its truth. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, They spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray with me. Our Father in heaven, As we open this familiar passage of Scripture this morning, we're reminded of the timeless truth that you seek for us to know. And as we hear these words, we pray that you'll speak to us afresh. That we'll hear from you 
a message of hope. Of who you are. Of who Jesus is. Of your desire for every person you've ever created. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Born that night. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I'll never forget the scene. Melanie and I were on a mission trip to Djibouti, Africa. D-J-I-B-O-U-T-I. Yes, it sounds like Djibouti because it is Djibouti. And we're flying into Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And we've left Newark, New Jersey, flew through Rome, didn't get off to the airplane. They wouldn't let us, you know. But they came and restocked the airplane and all that. And then we flew on and we land in or we're about to land in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. So I'm a plane guy. My dad worked for Delta Airlines for 36 years, and I know all about planes and how everything's supposed to work, and I have a certain sense of the way an airport ought to look and function because, you know, that's me. I'm sitting by the window, and I look out as we're about to land, and I see grazing right alongside the runway a herd of cattle. Like 20, 30 cattle right beside the runway. I'm used to airports in America where, you know, there is grass alongside the runways that's mowed flat with all the signs and stuff. And a long way out from the grass, there's a big security fence with barbed wire on the top. And nobody gets inside of that because, you know, you don't want to accidentally cross the runway and get smashed by a plane and then have something happen like that, right? So I'm looking out, and I'm sure I'm saying to Melanie, 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 there's cows right beside the runway. Oh my gosh, there's a shepherd boy. There's this little half-naked shepherd boy, little African guy, down there, you know, wearing next to nothing with his little stick watching the cows. And I'm going, if one of these cows runs out in the runway, we are dead. Or at least the cow's going to be dead. But either way, this just does not strike me as good. So I've already been praying for months about this mission trip, but you know at that moment when you think you might die because a cow might run on the runway, your prayers go up a little higher. (laughs) Thankfully, we landed safely in Addis Ababa, going to the airport. It was definitely like stepping back in time into a third world country. And I'm not going to tell you any more stories about Ethiopia or Djibouti right now. But that thought, that picture to me of this little boy, Standing by the runway. Now, I had lived in Africa. I've seen shepherd boys and shepherd men everywhere, but generally shepherd boys, you know, generally not dressed too well here, there, wherever, watching the sheep, watching the cows, anything like that. Matter of fact, you know, the first time I went to Botswana, you cross the border from South Africa, you go into Botswana, there's a gigantic sign that's, uh, you know, with Colonel Sanders' face on it that says, KFC welcomes you to Botswana. And right beside the sign, as if waiting for a postcard picture, is a shepherd boy with some scraggly little goats. So I'm used to seeing shepherd boys, but I just wasn't used to seeing a shepherd boy right beside a runway where a gigantic aircraft full of uh, people is about to land. We don't think of shepherds in the highest esteem. We don't, and even in the days of the Bible, they were not held in highest esteem. And we'll get to that background in a moment. But as we continue our Whoville sermon series, we started with... Who do I need to share Jesus with? 
And that's everyone. And if you haven't got any of these, you can get them on the information counter and still hand them out this week because somebody can come next Sunday. And it has a special announcement about Christmas Eve as well. And we talked about last week, who did Jesus or who did God choose to parent Jesus? Because it was about the character of those people and the lesson we could learn from their character. But today we focus in on the shepherds with the question, who did the angels appear to? And what it is, is an offer of hope, no matter who you are. And so we turn to our scripture memory verse of the month. And our scripture memory verse of the month is John 1.12. And it reminds us that no matter who we are, that we too can become children of God. So let's say that together. John 1.12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 1.12. All means all, friends. Every person, everywhere, whoever lived, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done. So we turn to this familiar passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 2. You get the introductory portion that sets the scene in verse 1. In the days of Caesar Augustus, this ruler who by his viciousness and authoritarian attacks came to power and was ruling the entire Roman world at that time, and then it's placed in the first year of Quirinius as governor to give us this historic setting, the Gospel of Luke, written by Dr. Luke. Luke was precise this way. Verse 3, and everyone went to his town to register. And verse 4 tells us that they went to the Bethlehem because they were from that area. So that if you're not a Jewish person and you didn't know the custom, you would understand why these things are happening. Verse 5 explains that further. Then you get, in the end of verse 5, that Mary was expecting a child. Verse 6, And when they were there, the baby, the time came for the baby was born, and he was, gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Just like we know from the other scriptures that are predicted. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Jesus is born. And when the King of kings and the Lord of lords makes his earthly appearance, Mary had known his presence for months, felt him in her womb. Joseph may have felt as well, maybe any other person bold enough to walk up and put their hand on Mary's tummy or invited to do so would know that presence. But now here he is in the flesh, outside. And who does God choose to share this news with first. It's always been curious to me, hence my choosing of this passage for this scripture and this sermon. Yes. Verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, and then living is what it says. These guys are on the late shift, but these guys are on the always shift. They're 24-7, 365. And so an angel appears to them, and what does he say? Do not be afraid. Why? Into verse 9, they were terrified. And what we see is they're going to trade their fear in verse 8 for joy. The angel says to them in verse 9, I bring you good news of great joy, from great fear to great joy. And there's this formula of good news and great joy that we hear echoed of who Jesus is. 
So your first point on your outline asks the question, of all people, why shepherds? Of all people, why shepherds? Uh, and the subpoint there says, well, the obvious and possibly humorous reasons. Um, they may or may not be humorous to you, but I'll do my best, okay? Some background on the shepherds. The shepherds probably had some land of their own. They had a home of their own. Um, and, but maybe their land holdings were too small, and they had to watch their own sheep. So what they would do would hire themselves out to watch other people's sheep. You know, I've seen a similar phenomenon sometimes when we have ladies that may have worked outside the home, but then they have children of their own and they decide, hey, I'm going to want to stay home and watch my own kids, but to make a little extra income, I'm going to open up a daycare and watch some other children in my home. And so I'm not comparing the shepherds and sheep to ladies with a home daycare, but just get the idea. If you've got to be home for two children, why can't be home for four or five or six children, you know? So they had to watch their own sheep, so they decided, let's go into business and watch some other people's sheep. That was commonly what happened. But they were peasants at the bottom of the scale of power and privilege. So here they are, the guys that are going to be out in the fields all night. Here they are, the guys that are going to be in a group for safety, for security, so that at different watches of the night, you know, you kind of gather the sheep together in uh, whatever means Uh, and then one guy stays awake while the other guys sleep. And they're out in the countryside, which, you know, if you're going to plan an angelic announcement, isn't it best to have nice vistas with rolling hillsides, you know, so the angels can appear and, you know, there's no trees in the way or, or no buildings or anything like that. And there they are, doing their job, minding their own business, being shepherds. Now, something interesting to note is that there was a rabbinic law that therefore had to be used for sheep that were between Jerusalem and Bethlehem and in the pastures, therefore, had to be used for sacrifice. Have you ever considered that? That these men watching these particular sheep knew that the sheep they were watching were going to Jerusalem to be sacrificed for the sins of their people. And God chooses them to announce His Son, the Lamb of God, who will be sacrificed for the sins of all people. So they're doing their job, watching their sheep in the wilderness. Verse 11. The angel says to them, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Just to make sure they didn't miss the Savior part, they added the word Christ. He's the Messiah. And so by saying it twice, it's unequivocal. It's undoubted that He is the one that's been promised. And to make sure they understood it, He goes on in verse 12 and He says to them, This will be a sign to you. You'll find Him in clothes, lying in a manger, not the typical place for a baby to be received. These days we paint up a nursery and we make things fancy and we get them nice clothes and all that sort of stuff. Anything we can afford and maybe some things we can't. But that would be the sign. And if that wasn't enough... To put the heavenly seal of approval on it and to announce how amazing this is. Verse 13, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth and goodwill to men. Note one thing here. 
the last phrase of verse 14. The second phrase there says, peace to men on whom his favor rests. That's the thing I want you to note. God chose to announce Jesus to humans. God chose to announce Jesus to you. God chooses to announce Jesus to anyone you share his name with. Even something as simple as an invitation to a Whoville Christmas might begin a personal relationship with Jesus for somebody who knows Jesus' name and knows about churches but has never considered a personal relationship with him, anything that could happen or change their life. So we consider these things about the shepherds. They're out in the fields. They're in a group. They're doing their job. They're watching the sheep that would be sacrificed. They're a captive audience, so to speak. But your second point is the not so obvious and probably revealing reasons. Why the shepherds? Well, let's get to the second set of reasons. The not so obvious necessarily. And I foreshadowed some of it. But had you thought about the fact that the nature of their work, being out in the fields all the time, watching the sheep, kept them from observing the ceremonial laws of the Jewish people? And if they weren't able to observe the ceremonial laws of the Jewish people, they would be considered unclean by their own people. So even though they were guarding the sheep and caring for the sheep that would be the sacrifice of other people, they may not have even been able to go to sacrifice themselves. And as a class, shepherds had a bad reputation. They were known to steal other people's sheep. Or, you know, if a lamb was born, say, well, it was born to one of mine, not to one of yours. And be dishonest. And as such, because they weren't able to keep laws, and as such, because of the reputation they had earned over centuries, they were given the second lowest position on the caste system of the Jewish people. Now, there wasn't a caste system like in India, but there really was in social settings. The lowest people were lepers, those with the skin disease that could be contagious and was often unsightly and smelly and disfiguring and other terrible things. Right next to the bottom was the shepherds. Did you know the shepherds, because of their reputation, and because they were generally ceremonially unclean, were not even allowed to give testimony in a court of law? That's how low they were considered. So here these men... That God chooses to give testimony of the greatness of Jesus and his arrival, normally, legally, couldn't give testimony that counted. It's an amazing paradox. The truth standing on its head, screaming to be recognized. A few things you might write down if you haven't already about the not so obvious and probably revealing reasons is that these guys were societal outcasts. They were outcasts because of their job, because of their reputation. They were outcasts. They were perceived as thieves. If you didn't write that down already, you can write that down. Folks did not trust shepherds as a class. And the third thing is their word didn't count. Generally, usually, because of their reputation, because they were outcasts. If a shepherd showed up at town, this would be the kind of person that everybody would fold their arms and you know, hold tight to their kids and watch their pocketbooks because here they come, those smelly shepherds. But in the eyes of God, no matter how the world perceived them, and sometimes rightfully so, 
He chose to announce Jesus to them first. Your next point is this. The angels announced a Savior for all, no matter who you are. The angels announced a Savior for all people. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, in all history. That no matter who you are, whether you're a king like Caesar Augustus, whether you're a governor like Quirinius, whether you're a carpenter like Joseph, whether you're a young lady pledged to be married like Mary, or whether you're a shepherd who, if you earned it or not, has a bad reputation and isn't trusted by others. What I see here, folks, is that it's a message of hope. Save us. And that's the reason he started with shepherds. Let's go on in verse 15. When the angels had left him and they'd gone into heaven, the shepherds said, let's go to one another. Let's go to Bethlehem and see the things that have happened. Now, I don't know exactly how this happened. Did they leave one guy there and all the rest of them went? Did they have some sort of pen they could put the sheep in and just trust God that the sheep were going to be okay? The Bible doesn't tell us that because that's not the main point. Let's go on. Verse 16, so they hurried off. That doesn't mean necessarily that they run, but it did mean that they went immediately. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now, how did they find them? I don't know. How many mangers are there around you know, uh, Bethlehem? I don't know. But they found them one way or the other. When they'd seen him, they spread the word. Now, presumptively, this is the next morning, the days following. Maybe they went door to door. I don't know. But look at what it says in verse 18. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Now, Mary treasured up all these things. She knew what God had said to her. She knew that she had not been with a man. She knew that she had just given birth to a baby. She knew the prophecies. And now she hears from the shepherds. We're out in the fields just doing our own thing, watching the sheep. And then this angel shows up and talks to us. And then a heavenly host comes and sings to us. And that's why we came and found you. She knows all these things. And just like any mother, she begins to think about what her child's life will be in the future. What did the shepherds do in verse 20? They returned glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. God's word is truth. And God explained it to them. Here's what you're going to find. And here's how you're going to find it. Just as you have been told. Brian Witt and I were reflecting um, last week about running in the market to market relay. And I said, oh, man, the one I hated the most was this route that started out really pretty from Papillion La Vista South High School. I don't know if you've ever been there. Big, beautiful building, you know, right there off 370. And then you get the baton and you run between the building and the tennis courts and you run down into this park area. Like a park, though, with these natural prairie grasses. And there's a lake down in there. And then there's prairie grasses on the other side. And then there's a subdivision beyond that. 
And so, you know, you're running down this hill for the first half mile or so. And so, you know, you just got the baton and you're jazzed up and people are cheering for you. And you're running fast and you're going downhill. And besides, when I got the baton, the sun was just coming up. And then the warm colors lighting up all the different prairie grasses in this restored prairie around this beautiful lake with the, you know, sun shining off of it. And I'm like, yeah, this is living, man. And I am just running as fast as I can go. Because I know that I'm only going to have to run five miles and I can do that. And I've looked in the book and it shows that the profile for this stage is just like got some little hills in it, right? So I run down that hill, I run around the lake and I'm just loving life and I'm thankful for it. And then I get off onto the gravel section road to run about four and a half miles straight south on this gravel section road. Two things happened to me then. One, I noticed that the wind was coming out of the south And then two, I look at the hill in front of me and I go, that looks bigger than they drew on the profile. So I trudge up that first hill because there's somebody up in front of me that I'm thinking, I can catch that person. Surely I can catch that person. And I pass that person about the top of the hill and I'm like, boy, that's bigger than they said it was. And they're like, I'm like, keep on, buddy. And I down the other side of the hill. Go around a corner, a slight corner, even though it's a section road. There was a creek crossing. And I turn, and there's another hill. And guess what? It's bigger than I expected. And I'm looking at it going, you know, that profile looked like it was only a 1% or 2% grade hill. And this thing's like this. Why do they put hills like this out on section roads? I don't know. Trudge up that second hill. And I'm thinking, oh, my word. I know there's a third hill here. If the third one's big, I'm going to curse. Sure enough, the third hill was not like they said. It was longer, it was bigger, and I was angry the whole way. I was running up that thing as my legs were getting heavy because I started off too fast and I was trying to catch people because I'm stubborn like that. And I'm like, this is not what they told me. You better believe that when we got the nice little email that said, please evaluate the race and tell us about it, I wrote in all caps, You know, that stage nine was uh, mislabeled. You need to get a better uh, course profile because it was a lot hillier than the picture made it look like. I'm sure they read it and went, ha, ha, ha. I guess we got that guy. (laughs) The shepherds told things just as they had been said. I experienced things not at all like they had been said. The difference was guys making a course profile and a running guide Versus the God of the whole universe. So we need to move on in our sermon. We first ask the question of all people, why the shepherds? But let's bring it home now. Of all people, why me? What about you? Why you? Why would the God of the whole universe choose to love you? Now, some of you might be going, well, I got lots of good things to be proud of. Okay, so the the next point's for you. The obvious and possibly humor use you and love you. And don't use a Sunday. Go ahead, write them down. Why do you think God would choose you and love you? And don't use a Sunday school answer. You know, you could write on there because I'm devilishly handsome. You know, uh, because I'm charming and witty. Uh, because I'm super intelligent. I mean, write down whatever you want to write down, right? And maybe you'll chuckle at the reasons you're writing them down, but... You think about those reasons why God would love you. And let's move on to the second point. The not so obvious and probably revealing reasons. 
I've got some scriptures for you to write down here, and uh, we're going to put them up on the big screen, and so you'll have time to write the reference down. And there's a few of them to make us think through, and you've heard me quote some of them before because of what they mean to me, and I believe all believers in Jesus. And the first one is Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Look at what it says there. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, for it is by grace you have been saved. Why me? You need to write down Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. Not because that you're devilishly handsome or incredibly charming, But because of God's great love for you, and because He's rich in mercy, He gave the grace to save you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, He loves you. If you go on in that passage of Scripture, you get Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And we'll, for sake of time, skip the next couple verses in the middle there. But verses 8 and 9, what's it say? For it's by grace you've been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Why do we give gifts at Christmas time? Why do we have gifts even on our stage, symbolic of the gifts that may be under your tree or that you'll exchange with others? Because God gave to us Jesus. Because God loved us. And he knew the greatest gift we needed was eternal salvation. Because of our personal sinfulness. And that it's only by His grace. Not by anything we can do. Not by works. That He would save us. The prophet Joel said. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Will be saved. All means all. Your next scripture verse there is Acts 15.11. In the midst of this interesting exchange that I'll let you go back and read later, look at what it says. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Gentiles, Jews, no matter who you are, we're all saved by grace. Grace. God's grace. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Because of that, as the writer of Hebrews says, we can all draw near to the throne of grace and receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need because he gives us grace to save us. He gives us perpetual sustaining grace, not just redeeming grace. And one more scripture verse for you to write down, and that's in Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Remember, we're answering the questions of why would Jesus or why would God save me? Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Did you catch the last part of Ephesians 2 verse 9? 
that it's by grace through faith so that no one can boast that we are saved. But what does this scripture say, also written by Apostle Paul? He says, and we boast in what? Everybody say it, the hope of the glory of God. I don't know about you, that gets me a little excited. I'm up here smiling and y'all are looking at me like, how are we supposed to handle this? We're justified by faith. We have peace with God through Jesus. And it's by faith through grace and we have hope in the glory of God. What I see in the message of the shepherds that because of who they were and because of how society treated them is that if God chose to announce Jesus first to the shepherds, he wants to share hope with all people because of who Jesus is, because of what he means to us. Another one that it won't be on your big screen, but I want to read to you Romans chapter 8, verse 24 and 25. You can write that one down. Romans 8, 24 and 25 says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We have hope in eternal life in Jesus. We're not there yet. But because of the decision we've made to trust Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we know that we will be there someday. And we know that because God keeps His word as He did then with the shepherds, He will do with us today. And what He says, that if we trust Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord, and become followers of His, by grace, through faith, that we have hope in what is to come. You've got a final point on your outline. The angels announced a Savior for me, no matter what I've done. Some people don't trust Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior because they can't accept the Bible as truth. I understand that. I pray that they can logically, rationally come to that truth at some point. I also pray that God supernaturally will go beyond their need for a reason and change their heart. That the Holy Spirit might connect the dots for them. But there are others that don't trust Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord because they think they are too bad, that their sin is too great, that God could never love them because, frankly, they may not even love themselves. But I'm here to tell you what Scripture says, friends, that God loves you. And no matter who you are, Jesus came to save you and to make a difference. J.I. Packer says this, the Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope for pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory because of the Father's will. Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross to die in order to give all people hope.
God loves you, friends. He appeared to shepherds to teach us all about hope. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, it's a challenge for us to consider when we're honest with who we are, that we might just be a big fat poser or hypocrite. That we might be selfish and cruel and sinful and wicked. And all the things that other people don't know about us that we keep locked away. But God, we know that you know. And we know that not in spite of, but because you know us and our deepest, darkest sin that you sent Jesus to save us and to give us hope. So, Father, it's our prayer that if there's a person here today who hasn't professed Christ Jesus as their Savior and Lord, that they would make that decision today and make it known to all of us so that we might rejoice as the angels did that Jesus is a Savior for all people. And if there's any of us here today that have wandered and though we know Jesus is our Savior, we've let sinful habits or hang-ups get in our way, that we would confess those today and come back to Christ Jesus anew in relationship with Him. Whatever it is, Father, would we respond to You as we sing because we rejoice in the hope that You give us through the grace of Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen.